Welcome to a bit of play, an occasional insight into the history of games and games culture. I'm Armin Bali, And I'm Daniel Rosen. On this show, we're launching into a new theme about space. That's right, Daniel's put together a list of some of the games about the void, like space exploration and space adventure. Starting with our first game, Asteroid. So, Asteroid's an interesting one to start off with because it's not even the first game that's set in space, and it's not even like, it's not the first successful video game that no, people it, know of, it's, it's but the, it, it is important. Yeah, and it's not that really, the fir- it's not the first game set in space, I think that's the interesting, I think it's the first game set in space that people, A, actually played, right. and are aware of. For a second, when I was starting writing this list, I thought it was going to be Space Invaders, until I realized that Space Invaders doesn't actually take place in space. No, it, it takes just, place in the upper atmosphere. Yeah, so well, I thought you were a tank, I thought it was just in Tokyo. Oh, okay. all those. You, I assume Japan because it's yeah. you know made by the Japanese, um, but it's coming. You're com- you're actually on Earth. The yeah, invaders and, and the are invaders are, from space. exactly. They are space invade. They are they are invading your space, but yeah. your space is Earth. Yes, they are from space. You know, space is Japanese for Earth. Exactly. There you go. Yeah, it's like it's like how Pokemon. It's the sp <laughs> and the ace. They both stand for two things. Anyway, the point is that Asteroids is, Asteroids is to me, really important because this is the first game that most people played set in space. Space War is obviously the first game set in space, mm-hmm. but nobody really got to play Space War. No, it was a, uh, it was a device on... It was a, it was on a PDP mainframe? Yeah, it was on PDP mainframe, but Nolan Bushnell may or may not have played, Yeah, depending on which legend you want to follow. So uh, the thing with Asteroids is so interesting to me is that it relies so heavily on iconography because really most of what you see in the game, aside from the um, UFO, like the flying saucer, are a bunch of lumps on a black void... And a triangle. And that is meant to define a spaceship, because what other triangles are there in space? And asteroids, because what other lumps are there in space? It's... And the other thing is, like, asteroids kind of exist out of necessity, mm-hmm. in that, like, what... Given... It's it's a vector graphics mm-hmm. in 1979. Like, what else... They probably couldn't manage much more than what they showed us. Right. It, and I think it was... You know, it's a space game, like you said, by necessity. Like, there's... If it had a different colored background, it would be something else. If they could manage to do a background, it wouldn't be a space game. But because it has to be against the black void, it has to be space. And so because of that, it, it does sort of present this weird thing where our earliest space games are space games out of convenience. And they're infinity in that they literally go on forever. All of these games, early arcade games... Go on forever. We're not really level based at all. Yeah, they, they they kind of just the enemies get more crowded, and sometimes they sometimes they don't even get that much harder. It just kind of um, just sort of continues. It's test of your endurance. Yeah, and so you know it, it does sort of take place infinitely in this infinite abyss that we just understand as the infinite abyss because it is space. The, the, it's a kind of a triumph of iconography, right? In a lot of ways, um, it is. You know the way spaces of the way game graphics have evolved is so fascinating to me too because space hasn't. Yeah, you know, yeah, we have lumps. The lumps are now rounder and they look shinier, but space is still represented by a triangle and a black void for the most part. Like, and the way that we we often see space depicted in games is from asteroids, and like the the basic fundamentals of exploring in space it hasn't differed all that much from right. It's what, from is, what is asteroid? You have a thrust button and a direction button. Exactly, and it's like that seems to have like set a lot of standards for how we look at space in terms mm-hmm. of games. Um, we explore space as this infinite thing, because asteroid space is infinite, we're just not moving, things are coming into our field of view. You know, we explore space as infinite and as empty. Yeah. Um, And games haven't really moved beyond that when it comes to space exploration. When it comes to games set in space on planets or on spaceships, there's different things going on there, but when it comes to games actually set in 
the void. Um, we haven't actually moved past asteroids, which is really fascinating. Or space war. Though space war, I feel like, is a little bit more complicated than, ast- than, uh, no, than asteroids. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. Space war, you kind of, you were basically two dogfighters. The, the concept is fundamentally the same in that you are a character, there are enemies coming around you, and you are basically, it's two player, so you and your friend are dogfighting with, um, and there's an exploded star in the center that is dragging you towards it, and if you get too far towards it, you fall into the pit and die. But the, um, it's a, like, considering that it was made in, like, the early 60s, it is crazy how, how elaborate that game is. It also ran on, like, a massive mainframe. Yeah, on a computer that, the size of our recording studio. Yeah, so... With with that in mind, they had access to a lot of power, kind of, that asteroids didn't have in 1979, but also they had a little more, like, that game went on, was basically thrown into open source for a decade, um, mm-hmm. where it kind of got development from whoever wanted to pick it up and mess with it, because, I mean, it was just like, if you picked up a PDP mainframe, it was just sitting there. If you pick up a PDP mainframe, you got a hernia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You never pick up a PBTP mainframe. Yeah. Uh, not, not without help. So moving forward within the Abyss um, into games with constraints on that, there is Metroid. Yeah, so Metroid is actually really cool for a number of reasons. Um, yeah. Metroid, first... by the way, is also a game that is set in space because of limitations, but we'll get to that. Yeah, so the, the Metroid is basically the Nintendo, uh, Nintendo game with Samus Aran. Mm-hmm. You're trying to take down this alien beast called the Metroid. It's Nintendo's very, very, very loose take on Alien. <laughs> yeah, it's like they got the fundamental concept of weird War- monsters. Weird monsters, gross. warrior woman, shooting. Yeah. And that's about as far as... And, and constrained, spooky areas, and that's about as far as they got. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't finish the movie. It was too scary for them. <laughs> <laughs> and... um. In some ways, it's kind of Mario with a gun, at least when it comes to the fact that you're platforming around and you're shooting. When it comes to the, like, the core like moment-to-moment mechanics, yeah. Yeah, but the atmosphere is kind of what differentiates uh, Metroid from the others and makes it feel a little more eerie and a little more um, distinctive, even if the environments are still kind of just gray cubes. So the thing with Metroid is that the name isn't just weird gibberish. Um, Metroid is like a Japanese portmanteau for, um, we don't know what the Roid stands for. I think Android, actually, where Samus right. is the Android. And the Met part comes from Metro, which we're in, like, Subway. Yes, so, because the, 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 the map kind of looks like it's crazy. It looks like a bunch of Subway tunnels. Yeah. And, and that's sort of the point. You are isolated in these tunnels. They're very constrained. It is very dark. Uh, the, thing that get, the thing is about that with the world is that it's all interconnected. You're moving back and forth. You're backtracking. You're going back to areas with new abilities. It sets up the whole idea of, I think, the, the genre that we now call Metroidvanias. Yeah. Um, but I think also are sometimes just called platformer adventures or something. Yeah, because um, basically it's just like, here's this map that you have basically as much access as you can. Like some levels, are, some areas are broken, are separated from you that you can't get to because you don't have a key or you don't have a Well, it's, it's a, very rarely a key, right? It's always yeah. like, this area is too hot for Samus to walk in without dying. Yeah. You need to find the suit that protects you from heat. Exactly. It's effectively a key, but it's a little bit more organic than that, which which is sort of what lends the, makes the place feel like an actual alien planet yeah. to a certain extent. And as a result, it's like you have to kind of gather up this and make your make your make make Samus have this neat suit of mm-hmm. all these assorted items. Um and so that you can effectively navigate this very dangerous environment, and that, right. like the environment itself is kind of given to you as this um, as this enemy for you to overcome. Right. And and the thing with the game is that Metroid is a huge game for an early NES game. It was actually a disc system game originally. Um, but the thing that's crazy about it is that because they had 
absolutely no space on which to make this game. Everything is black. It does sort of just take place across the infinite blackness of space, and yet it's always constraining you. It's always funneling you. Everything's a tunnel. It's going up or to the side, and that's all you can do. You are There's a, there's a hand at your back pushing you around this area because there's monsters everywhere. And so to a certain extent, it takes that idea of infinite space that we saw in Asteroids just a second ago mm. and funnels it down until it's something like, yes, it is infinite, and you can't go anywhere. You can't escape. You are locked in here with the monster, with the Metroids, and it is up to you to either kill them all and escape or die. And the only way to to escape is to kill them all. To a certain extent, Metroid is a game about genocide, and Metroid 2 is actually very interesting, and we might end up writing about it somewhere. Uh, But if you actually want to read about how Metroid kind of intersects with genocide, there's a really interesting article on uh, Gamasutra. And I can't remember who wrote it, but it's very recent, within the last two or three weeks, um, about the ways Metroid intersects with... um, uh, homelessness and genocide. It's actually pretty interesting. Uh, but in that same sense, Samus is a character who goes from planet to planet and locks herself in a room with a bunch of deadly monsters. You locks, you know, locks that concept of infinity into a space that is essentially, at least with Metroid 1, the way how poorly mapped out it is and how annoying it is to get anywhere feels infinite because it, the maze feels like it's endless. And, like, to some extent it works both for it and against it in yeah. that it is a pain to play. Right. And, but also, like, gain, like builds this atmosphere of this horrifying environment. It's very impressive and very interesting on paper, whereas to play now, it's sort of... It's hard to go back to, especially now that we have Super Metroid. Right, Super so Metroid being one of the... I mean, a yeah. lot of people call that one of the greatest games ever made. Right, like, Super Metroid or Super Metroid in 3D, which is Metroid Prime. Yeah. Like, we basically have a, a better version of it with just as much atmosphere, but it isn't quite as stark. I think yeah. the big thing about Super Metroid and Metroid Prime is that you aren't... It doesn't ever feel as dark. It doesn't ever feel as upsetting. It doesn't ever feel like you are being funneled. The design is better. You always sort of know where you're going, but also there's a lot more color to the world. Samus is this bright neon orange spot against the blackness of space, and that really helps you figure out who you are because you're the bright orange thing, and also tells you, good God, I have to get out of here and back to the bright orange things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, then directly contrasting to that is um, Mass Effect, where you are exploring space and it's kind of more of an adventure. Not, not much, much glo- doom and gloom in, in Mass Effect, although it can get towards the end. But right. That's not really what we're exploring here. The thing that's interesting in Mass Effect 2 to me is that, unlike every other game I mentioned, its space is distinctly and de- distinctly defined as finite. Right. You can and, see the edges of space, or habitable space, whatever they want to call it. Um, and we should point out that, that Mass Effect uh, 2 is the sequel to in the very well-profitable do- well, uh, uh, Bioware series in which you play as Commander Shepard. Commander, um, Commander Shepard. Commander, Commander Shepard. Um, uh, space Jesus. Spa- <laughs> space Jesus, um, talker to the machines, um, Neo, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. Um, he uh, Or and, she. Or she. Or she. Um, or it? No, not it. They. They. I, I can't. Well, unfortunately, English doesn't have any proper. Uh, gen- Z. Z. Z? Yeah, the but... problem is they're not well accepted. They're not no. like well, uh, what's what's the word? Uh, popularly accepted. There you go. That's the one. Yeah. Anyway, we know English. <laughs> anyway, so with uh, with this, you you're given a ship called the, the Normandy, and you're asked to explore space. And oddly enough, space is like ten places that you can visit over the course. Well, it's more than ten places. It's like fifty places. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, places you can actually visit, like fifty yeah. places. Places you can see hundreds of planets. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what works with Mass Effect space feels gigantic. And that's part of what's cool about it. It doesn't feel infinite, but it feels enormous to the point where it might as well be infinite. And what it does to narrow that is that it makes sure that you always have a relationship to each place you visit. Mass Effect 2 works really well for me because it's mostly about, it's a, you know, 20-hour trust exercise. 
wherein you round up a bunch of criminally insane wackos and tell them that you need to do a suicide mission, and they tell them, oh, but I have some family problems. And so you solve their family problems by making space feel less infinite and making it feel more personable. You are essentially exerting your sort of, not control, but your own sort of atmosphere over space and saying space is a friendly, habitable space for me, and I'm going to make it that way for other people by creating these relationships with these planets. It's kind of like, hey, you have this problem in this corner of the galaxy. I can make this corner of the galaxy more friendly and better for you. Although there are some storylines that just end like, oh, we're never going there again. Yeah, oh, God, that place exploded. Whoops. Yeah, that place exploded. Or like horrible, horrible things happen to this planet. I don't know why you'd ever want to go back here. Right. And the the thing with... Mass Effect is that, listen, at the end of the day, Mass Effect's a game about, um, sort of like how Star Trek was originally a television show about Manifest Destiny. Right. Uh, Mass Effect is a is a game about how Americans are great. <laughs> it, well, it's about America's America's growing spa- growing place in the world. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, the game starts off, the Mass Effect 1 starts off with this, this League of Legends style scenario, League of Legends, League of Nations style mm-hmm. scenario, where you're dealing with um, a bunch of empires that have rallied together and... Um, you are the one dissenting voice to this uh, to this void, and it's like, oh, hey, here's Ameri- here's humans slowly coming out of their isolation mm-hmm. um, and dealing with politics and slowly taking command of the world to the point that by the end of like Mass by Mass Effect three, they are the most dominant um, mm-hmm. force in the, the universe. So, when did Thresh advise Woodrow Wilson on <laughs> crafting the League of the League of Legend Nation, the League of Legendary Nations. <laughs> what do you think what lane do you think Woodrow Wilson plays best in? I think he's um he's a swamper. No, what's a what's the name? Um I don't know. I don't know anything about League of Legends. He's a jumper, a jacker. Um <laughs> He hacked into the Matrix. <laughs> I don't know. The guy who's in the middle. So that's the center lane. The center I lane. I think. Yeah, I don't know. He's in. The, oh no, no, the jungler. That was jungler. It. Okay, he jungles. Yeah, he's he's. A, I, well, Woodrow Wilson is a pretty good jungler. Well, please, jungle. <laughs> I think it's not jungle. <laughs> anyway, the, Carl Jungle. The point about Mass Effect Two is that it's a great game. No, the point about Mass Effect Two is that, that that's interesting to me is that it it does, especially when you're on the world map, it does play with that idea of that you are. You are sort of narrowing that infinity to places that you care about. Yeah, that no, are no, important like, to you. These are places that are memorable. These are places that um, have stories attached to them, mm-hmm. and it's making them. While they're not always friendly, like you know, like some of the planets just like disappear or like horrible atrocities, and you don't want to go back. But they are places that like you now understand and recognize. Mm-hmm. Space doesn't necessarily become space. It starts out gigantic, but it feels smaller because you've made it this this right. more known place. And- like all things in the Mass Effect series, it's all smoke and mirrors because upon the second playthrough, you realize that it's all those planets anyway. Yeah. Um, and your choices don't actually matter that much. But again, Mass Effect is always always about that first time experience, not your not the next time through, not the not the hypercritical analysis of you know number two when it comes to the mechanics, or, or rather your second playthrough. And you realize that it doesn't actually matter. But for that first playthrough, Mass Effect Smoke and Mirrors works so well in building space as a reasonable, habitable place to be. It's unlike. A, unlike FTL, which um, Faster Than Light, a Kickstarter game that came out uh, two years ago now. Yeah, that's um, like that. they've, even. They recently put out an updated version, and it makes space look like a actual nightmare. So the FTL is where you play as a 
um, ship escaping the rebel fleet as you tend to you go to uh, inform the Empire of something dire that's about to go on and that's it that's all you're told I mean you have to travel between dis- distinct points in each galaxy to get to right you're making jumps yeah. between from galaxy to galaxy um, to try to get back to the Emperor Imperial base or whatever yeah and the cra- the crazy thing about FTL is it's the only game I can think of that actually mechanizes infinity because Every piece of that is, you know, every, it's, a, it's randomly generated, essentially. Yeah. It's a roguelike. And so every time you jump, it's a totally different scenario. You have no clue what's going to happen, and you, you're you often given scenarios in which, um, hey, v, we're, we're a bunch of, we're a crew who needs help. Could you uh, help us onto your ship, or could you give us a lift? And they get on your ship, and all of a sudden, it's, a, it's an enemy crew, and they attacked you. Mm-hmm. And then you play again, and all of a sudden, no, we're a bunch of friendly guys, and you just abandon them. Right, yeah. because you, you don't actually think they're friendly to them. Or that time I got a princess made of rocks to join my crew. That's because I promised awesome. to deliver her to her. Uh, no, I freed her from her, um, from her, from her, from her, from what was it? From like a somebody who had kidnapped her on her way to her arranged wedding with like the slime prince of another planet or something crazy. Oh, that's awesome. FTL is great, <laughs> uh, but no. Th- so it actually like space is genuinely infinite because every time you jump, something totally different happens. Yeah, and you cannot predict it. And and because of that, it's like you you got to be able to. It's a lot of going on your gut. Like you can't you can't a lot of the time you can't even rely on prior knowledge of like how the scenario played out because it's a different group of people, it's a different crew every time. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, you could end up in an environment. You could end up in an environment where it's like, oh hey, this is safe. This is like. Th- Easily three safe areas in a row, followed by like a meteor shower, followed by the last area. Right. Like, oh great, that's 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 simple. Or you could end up with like enemy space all the way there. Right. You just you don't know how it's gonna go. You pick one of the three jumps you can make, and you deal with what you've got. And so it always feels like there's always a hand pushing you, and space always feels inhospitable. It's back to that Metroid thing, where but unlike the constraint, where Metroid feels inhospitable because you're in a constrained section of space and you're locked in, you know, a black void with a monster. FTL is space is infinite and at every corner is someone trying to kill you. And as a result, because it it I mean like like Mass Effect to some extent, there's a there's a limit to its randomness, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll eventually come across repeats um, if you play the game enough. Um, I've never if you get the new one, uh, I can't remember what they called it. The, uh, um, FTL Enhanced Enhanced Edition. Yeah. Um, there's there's way more stories to it, so that's far more unlikely. Mm-hmm. But there's limits to the scenarios that you can come right. up, you can come across, and some of the scenarios kind of repeat, um, even if the dialogue is a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the effect of how the the random kind of layout of each section and um, the sheer variety that you can encounter always puts you on your toes, and because of that, you end up in you end up always with this feeling that you're alone. And I think that's one of the few games like it, it managed to harken back to Asteroids, where it's mm-hmm. like it's just it's an endurance test to some extent, yeah. right? Can you get to the end of this world and then fight a very hard boss? Right. It is. It is for as much as we can. We don't. You know, so few people who play games have ever actually gone to space. Yeah. Um, there's very few people who have gone to space, and fewer of those play video games. And few of those people are named Richard Garriott. <laughs> So, very few people... I mean, I think he's actually up there in exile for Tabula Rasa. <laughs> I think that's what happened. NASA refused to let him play Tabula Rasa on his trip to space. So, yep. but, so uh, I feel like these games are all trying to give us a sense of what space is like. We have stuff like Mass Effect, which isn't actually all that intrinsically spacey. No. There, there's no reason it couldn't be a, um, you know, or, or even Metroid. Metroid could be a game that takes place in a bunch of caves. You know, yep. Mass Effect could take place in a fantasy world. Could place in the real world, even if they wanted it to. Yeah. They could um, just change the planets to cities. Right. So, but FTL, on the other hand, and Asteroids are these games that are 
space. They are about the void and about infinity and about just threats coming. Not threats, but endurance in this harsh environment that we as humans are not meant to be in. Yeah. I mean, the weird thing about both FTL and Asteroids is that it's very much about the moment-to-moment decisions. Mm-hmm. Like, where are you... Ch- I mean, in Asteroids, it's more like where you choose to go and how you choose to shoot and where you, you're just overall strategy. But with the with FTL, it's like, oh, okay, do I, do I choose to help these guys or do I choose not to? Do I attack these pirates or do I not? Mm-hmm. Do I... Um, these guys who attacked me, do I chase them down or do I let them flee is that like oh no they invaded my ship do i waste the rest of my my money that i need for like i need a new weapon but Mm -hmm. i'm my ship's basically empty at this point do i get a new guy like those are the moment the moment decisions that you end up with and they all end up kind of like changing the your fate to some extent right and that's kind of like what they both have is this feeling of like you make your own destiny and that that's horrifying right and i I feel like that's what space is space exploration is about for uh, you know us as people as humans right for us we see space as like that is our next frontier that is where we can make our destiny unlikely unlike on earth we have there is no precedent for us there we can write the books essentially and, like, we have all these examples of space trips gone wrong. We've mm-hmm. had the Challenger mission, which just blew up. Mm-hmm. We have the, um, and... We, we I, had that part of Apollo, of Apollo 13 where they all peed out the side. Yeah. <laughs> the part where, where there was a poop in the void, mm-hmm. and they had to deal with that. But, no, the, um... Poop in the void is the worst sequel to Gravity, by the way. <laughs> Um, I mean, we have all these. I mean, we have these stories of like, hey, if we try even try to do Mars colonization, that's going to be an utter nightmare because, mm-hmm. um, look, these people are just going to be trapped there, and if they survive like six weeks, you don't. You remember how colonization was, mm-hmm. which was when, um, if you look at the history books, people went and basically died of whatever local diseases there were and ran out of food. Um, imagine that on Mars, where they're going to have nothing. Like the, it's. Space is scary, and yep. like the, those are the two games that manage to convey that the most succinctly. I really hope they do end up turning that Mars thing into a reality show. Oh, the Mars One is that yeah, what they're yeah. calling it? Yeah. Um, what, there's a two Canadians. Who yeah, are, who, who, who may be there. Yeah. We're still in the running. Um, I was going to ask though, while we're while we're doing, this, what is your favorite game set in space? What is your favorite space game? I really actually enjoy Mass Effect Two. I think that's uh, that's where I'm that is. Leave. I think we're both thinking that Mass Effect Two is our favorite space game. So, what is your second favorite? Yeah, yeah. Because we're we're both right there. Because because mine is Mario <laughs> Galaxy and Galaxy Two as yep. one kind of package. I think that the way they present space is really interesting. The the fact that every level is different really kind of works that spacing. And also the fact that orbit and gravity are these really intrinsic mechanics to being good at the game and understanding how the game works is really exciting and something that I, I feel is such a big step for platformers that nobody has done and even the Mario team kind of shied away from because it was they they sort I don't know if they did everything they could with it, but they did everything they thought they could with it. It's I haven't played this game, but I feel like the the one that I am mo- the space game that I'm most fascinated with after uh, Mass Effect two would be Eve Online. Mm-hmm. Which um that game kind of takes precedent of Elite and Wing Commander where there are these intense games that are set in space and I mean there's space combat and there's space travel and but it's far more about the realities of hey if you live of living in a libertarian nightmare when humanity is spread out across um the distant void and you have to deal with like oh hey you can do anything in this game which literally means that you have to watch out for this area of space where a bunch of jerks have decided that they're going to rob everyone who comes through this area or you have to like hey do I, who do I team up with because there's a bunch of some of you guys are crazy libertarians meaning that they're going to uh, the, that you 
you only make the money off the skin of your back, or you're going to like join up with these communists who are quite literally <laughs> no one gets any money and it all goes into the pool. Um, it's Eve Online is like this really interesting microcosm of what happens when you get a bunch of nerds to p- pretend they're in space <laughs> and the economies that result. Um, Eve Online is one of the first games I've ever heard to have an economist, mm-hmm. and I think the only reason because of that is bec- like Eve the the um, uh, what's the name CCP. I, mm-hmm. um, they have a economic policy mm-hmm. for their world, which is like World of Warcraft had that. But never to the extent that um, Eve Online that, that needs to. to. Yeah. So what you're saying is that I like Mario Galaxy because it's fun and colorful and gravity's cool, and you like Eve Online because you like space larping. No, well, it's not even like space larping. It's the stories that come out of space larping, right? Mm-hmm. It's like Mario Galaxy is a lot of fun because of the actual mechanics and the way you play it. Yeah. I don't actually think Eve Online is all that much fun. I think Eve Online is about as much fun as you make it, mm-hmm. and I think because. People have found a way to make that fun despite all the work and the second job it becomes. I, I feel like what's so fascinating about Eve Online to me, and I was, I was making a joke with, with the LARPing thing, but you, you make a really great point there that I, I think what's so cool about Eve Online to me is the stories that emerge from it, the emergent sort of storytelling and narratives we get from Eve Online is to a certain effect infinite. Yeah. There are any number of stories that EVE Online gets to tell because it is not a game so much as it, like you said, a weird second job in a strange, in a weird sandbox where there's no sand, it's mostly just money and mining. That kind of brings us uh, to the end of this discussion. Um, Daniel, thanks for putting together this list. Um, Thank you for letting me say you like space LARPing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been Armin Bali. I've been Daniel Rosen. And you've been listening to a bit of play. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at built to play I'm available at Flarkon. That's F-L-R-K-C-O-N. And you can find Daniel at Daniel underscore Rosen. If you liked this week's episode or you liked any of the episodes in the past, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. It'll really help us out. Plus Stitcher and I don't know, where else can you find podcasts? We're up there. Anyway, thanks for listening. <laughs>